This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. I think we go for convenience, and I'm guilty of that too. But uh, I also think people don't understand the amount of work that goes into something that is homemade or made in small batches. If possible, we should try to consider the quality of food that we are able to afford. So you don't have to buy all of your groceries um, at this tiny little boutique. But, you know, as I got older, I became more interested in the people behind the food uh, and then to go and experience different types of food. Then you can develop that interest uh, in, you know, different types of cuisine and ingredients and, and trying that out. That's Pei Chen. She's a TV food and lifestyle expert, as well as food and travel writer. She's a writer for kids TV shows and a former TV and radio host. Pei, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. And let's jump right in. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I don't know. I don't find it that interesting, but <laughs> uh, I do a little bit of everything. I guess mostly um, television and I go on as a, like a food or lifestyle expert. Sometimes it depends on what I'm doing at the time. Um, my background is in TV and a little bit of radio. So as a, as a host and as a writer, and um, I write uh, kids shows as well. So that's something a little bit removed from, from food and lifestyle, but, um, but yeah, I've been doing it for like, Ooh, 20 years. It's been a while. And what compelled you to become an entertainer? I don't think I, I sought that out specifically. Like I went to school for radio and television arts at Ryerson and I went into the writing stream. So uh, my intention was to work in children's television and work in educational TV, which I, I did for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, so sometimes things kind of happen in your life that lead you, you know, down different paths. Um, and, uh, and then an opportunity came up uh, where a TV station was hiring for a new on-air host. And I applied, you know, on a whim. I didn't, I didn't have any experience. I was in my early twenties mm-hmm. and, um, you know, but I kept making it a few steps further. And then that ended up being my first, um, TV hosting job, which I had for, for quite a few years. And then of course, once you kind of have that experience under your belt, it can, it can lead to other things. And that's pretty much what's happened. Oh, that's cool. I know that you are a fellow foodie, mm-hmm. but where did your love of food come from? Uh, I wasn't always interested in making food. I really, you know, in university in my 20s, I was not a very good cook. My my mom, oddly enough, didn't really teach us much about cooking. Um, she didn't want us to, you know, to study and get really good grades. But then when mm-hmm. I moved away to university, I just like ate carbs. Like that was the only thing I ate. Eight, uh, like most most broke uh, <laughs> university students, you just eat pasta and and bread and potatoes and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I think uh, probably in my mid twenties, I started watching a lot of Food Network actually uh, because I had a TV in my office and I would leave. <laughs> I was probably supposed to monitor our own station, but I used to leave it on the Food Network all the time. So I would spend most of my day in my office with a food network on in the background. And this was when um, they did it like their shows were very instructional. So it was yes. um, Anna Olsen, Anna, you know, uh, Ina. And um, it was just, it was all like how to, and I found it really interesting. And I think I decided, okay, I'm, I'm, I want to try this. Um, also, it's probably a bit of a 
money saving thing. Like I didn't, I didn't eat out much. Like I've, you know, if I didn't have the money, I didn't spend it. So I didn't make a lot of money. I just certainly didn't spend a lot of money eating out. So I wanted to eat better at home. And I have a sweet tooth. So really my interest at first was in in baking at home. So I liked the idea of um, learning how to bake and being better at it. Uh, I took a pastry course at George Brown College, um, which was great for, you know, the basics and fundamentals. Um, and then I think as I got older, uh, my parents have always been in the food business. So they're in uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh, and they're immigrants from Taiwan. And my dad made to- tofu growing up. My mom always had kind of a, I guess how you call it like a fast food, Chinese food kind of place. Like it's like egg rolls and um, chicken balls. Like that's what it was in the eighties. So I was always uh, surrounded by food because my parents both worked in the food business, um, but in a very simple way. There was nothing particularly fancy or elevated about it. And, um, you know, as I got older, I became more, interested in the people behind the food. Uh, and then, you know, I think as you get a little bit older and maybe you have a little bit more disposable income to allow you to go and experience different types of food, then you can develop that interest, uh, in, you know, different types of cuisine and ingredients and, and trying that out. You know, it is a bit of a luxury. It it requires, um, you to have the money to be able to try these new restaurants, right? So I can appreciate that. And I just, you know, got very interested in in who grew the food, who made the food, where it came from, because uh, I always saw my parents as small business owners, you know, mm-hmm. uh, working really hard with very thin margins and small profits. So, um, you know, something that I always kind of supported, and uh, and I just thought, like, you know, people need to appreciate how much work goes into the food that they get to eat. Are you up for a couple of games? Yeah. Okay. First game, this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. Cheese or chocolate? Ooh, that's hard. It's half of me and the other half of me. Um, <laughs> maybe chocolate. Ugh, if it's, I would almost maybe even say cheese. It, cheese? That, yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll say chocolate. Ugh. That's a hard one. We're off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that I'm going to give you that one. 50-50. Okay, pudding or chia pudding? Oh. Uh, I'm probably <laughs> like, uh, I like pudding. I don't love pudding. I probably, I would more likely make and eat chia pudding than I would make regular pudding. pudding. Yeah. Okay. Granola bar or nuts? Nuts. Banana chips or banana bread? Banana bread. Coffee or green tea? coffee edamame or roasted chickpeas edamame yeah me too <laughs> give up sugar for life or salt for life Ooh, that's a tough one that is a tough one because without salt everything is really bland and then sugar is like every sweet thing in the world yeah, um, sugar just makes me smile yeah I mean, maybe I could give up salt if I had enough herbs and other things. I'm like, I don't know, trying to rationalize it. I'm like, if I had access to all the fresh produce and herbs and whatever, maybe, maybe I could give, maybe that would be the one. Donuts or cupcakes? Uh, Probably donuts. Are you a morning person or an evening person? I'm neither. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be a, a night person, like a night owl, but then I did a morning show for a couple of years and it never made me a morning person, but it made me less of a night owl. Um, so, I mean, but if I had to choose, I would have an easier time functioning in the evening than I would in the morning. Really? I am so the opposite. 
Like what would be an early morning for you? I used to get up at three in the morning for work. So that was oh, you know, fun. Yeah. And I'm not at like, you know, people who want to like work out at 6 a.m. I don't. I'd rather work out at 6 p.m. than 6 a.m. Yeah. or even 8 p.m. Like I'd rather work out then than so. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm the complete opposite of you. A lot of people are. <laughs> yeah. At 8 a.m. I'm like already with my jams on and getting ready to. <laughs> oh, God, no, I don't even want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I want to talk about local businesses and what we can do to support them. Yes. Now's a, now's a very different time because it, you know, it came about very quickly and suddenly for people being quarantined. Yeah. Uh, and then for business owners, they had to close very abruptly. So there, there was no backup plan. There was no um, warning uh, or any way for them to prepare properly. And so a lot of businesses had to close because they were mandated to uh, in terms of, you know, f- small food businesses, a few were able to change their business a little bit to offer takeout or delivery, but that's still operating at a small percentage of what they were before. It allows mm-hmm. some to keep like a bare bones staff, for example. Um, and there are a lot of businesses who have honestly, just in the past week found ways to try and, uh, keep themselves in business in the smallest ways. So, food like produce, or maybe it's a butcher or a fishmonger who didn't used to do deliveries to people's homes, but now they no longer have restaurants to deliver to. So they have no one, they have no restaurants, the hotels are, are uh, empty. So a lot of these um, wholesalers and producers have shifted to delivering to people at home. And I do encourage people that if they have like a favorite store or product that they just uh, look them up because some of them are also partnering with um, other companies or they're banding together. So it might be like a couple of vendors from a farmer's market, for example, and one of them may have had a a pretty decent website up and now they're Mm -hmm. offering like online farmer's markets. Oh, really? Yeah. So Kendall Hill Farms is one that um, I recently learned about. Uh, They would sell their things at different farmer's markets, but then they also reached out to vendors from certain farmer's markets like Evergreen Brickworks. And what they do is on Thursday at noon, they open up their virtual, their online farmer's market. So you can see what's there. You can order it uh, to have it delivered the next week. And I mean, I think people can appreciate too that uh, a lot of these vendors, they have limited quantities. So it's not Mm -hmm. like going to your big box store and being able to order whatever you want uh, and as much as you want. So there's a lot of businesses that have really been quite um, quick to adapt in the past few days. Like the Pie Commission is one place that they're delivering. uh, They're delivering pies, frozen pies. Love them. And uh, Manning Canning is another great little company. They do preserves and jams and shrubs. And what she's offering, she's usually at uh, farmer's markets or like in small little boutique shops, which are also now closed. So like in the Toronto area or GTA, she's doing free delivery with like a minimum $30 order, which is nothing. Um, And um, there's also ways to support like uh, a lot of the businesses who had to close, like if you can pick up a gift card from them to use later, it just gives them a little bit of money now that they can pay rent and then Mm -hmm. you can use it when they reopen. Where do you think that some of us are are failing when it comes to to supporting local. I think we go for convenience and I'm guilty of that too. Like I have a major grocery store that's just a few blocks away. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with going to the major grocery store. They are businesses as well. And, um, you know, we still want to find the best price on paper towel or laundry detergent. I think if possible, we should try to consider the quality of food that we are able to afford. So you don't have to 
buy all of your groceries um, at this tiny little boutique. It could be probably quite cost prohibitive. But uh, I also think people don't understand the amount of work that goes into something that is homemade or made in small batches. So you might be able to get a loaf of bread for $3 at the grocery store, and that's fine and great. And then, you know, you go to a beautiful bakery, uh, let's say like, you know, Blackbird or um, Sudforno, and you're paying maybe like $8. People will question that because they'll compare one with the other and you can't. It's The ingredients could be different. It could be costlier, but and you're also just paying for, um, you're paying for the labor of someone making it by hand. So there's those elements. And the trade-off is, I mean, you're getting something fresh. You're getting something handmade. It's not mass produced. Exactly. And it depends on, you know, I don't need uh, artisan mustard so that you, you might want to just go to your grocery store and get that for $3. Uh, but you mm-hmm. might you <laughs> might love mustard. So you'll, you know, you don't mind paying $6 for one at, uh, at a little boutique shop or something because it's a little bit different. Um, and I think people need to understand the amount of work um, that goes into into making food. I think there's still some education around that. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Pei Chen, a multi-talented TV, food, and lifestyle expert. I, for one, have seen a lot of your lifestyle segments, and what are the resources that you use, like to find some of the new and noteworthy foods or products? Oh, okay. So when it comes to sort of like hunting for trends in a way, I rely on, um, there's a lot of companies who hire, you know, PR firms. So they, you know, they'll email you, they'll get in touch. Uh, that is always very helpful to keep up on, um, on your products that way, because there are just so many new things and some of them aren't really worth much time. Uh, but then there, you'll find a little gem. The challenge is not everyone can hire, afford to hire uh, someone to do communications for them. So then that's a little bit of digging as well. So I do always visit farmer's markets when I travel. I visit whatever is kind of local. Um, I look into little... Uh, little shops as well um, that carry maybe more like artisan goods. And also, you know, we live in a very digital world. So it's, it's made my life a bit easier because now you can find, you can find out what's going on all over the world at any time and what trends are, are happening. There's also a lot of trade shows that are for the food industry. And those are sometimes ones where you can go and see, um, see what the upcoming uh, food trends might be. Like it's almost forecasting a year or two in a way in terms of what you might see on the on store shelves. So that's always helpful. What do you think is, is just trending right now in food? Well, right now, because of like our global pandemic, I think people have gone, well, it's interesting. People have suddenly gone back to eating carbs because they were not eating them before. Like the bread aisles cleared out, the pasta aisles cleared out. I'm like, oh, suddenly we're all eating starch again. Um, (laughs) So I think there is, I think people are craving comfort food. It's also food that is something that shelf stable, you know, and and inexpensive. So you can stock up on bags of pasta and, and rice, beans. Everyone's like suddenly really into beans. I think also too, because people have time that they're now they're making their own bread. I think we'll have a different appreciation for things when we when you know we come out of this because people who didn't really cook before or maybe didn't experiment as much before have found perhaps that they've had some time it's 
interesting how many people are making their own bread right now, uh, which I, think I is know. great. But it's great because, uh, you know, that's amazing. Like you just need a little bit of flour and um, water and you don't need too many other ingredients. And yeah, it could be partly out of necessity because people don't want to go out. Um, but I think it's a nice thing. I think people are kind of going back to eating or just making some basic things and experimenting a little bit with what's in their pantry. And you also talk a lot about um, the food share programs. Mm-hmm. Living downtown, it's a bit of a challenge um, mm-hmm. in terms of like, it's the traffic's terrible for them to deliver. But a couple of years ago, I, I was um, a subscriber to a CSA box, which I love, but they were driving in from the farm, um, you know, Friday night during rush hour. Like it was, and also they, they only had a, not that they only had a couple of customers, but it's just that they weren't a giant company. It was the son of the farmer who was doing these deliveries and packing the boxes. So uh, it was just, the labor was high um, and I loved doing it. Uh, I loved getting it actually. The box that I do subscribe to now is called the Good Food Box and it's through Food Share, which is a Toronto uh, charity that has uh, great programs to provide uh, healthy food to people in various communities who who need it. So um, they they do amazing work. They've got you know a few fundraisers a year. They have a couple different programs where they connect with the community and and try to give people access to healthy food. And they have these produce boxes which are half the price, if not less, than a lot of the other produce delivery companies. But I mean that comes with um, certain you know, caveats, which is, you know, you don't get to substitute the things that come in it. Uh, It usually delivers to your area once a week. So you're not, you don't have the luxury of making all of these choices, but like I get the small conventional produce box and it's $16. And um, mind you, I have more celery and potatoes than I need right now, (laughs) but it does occasionally come with something that throws me for a loop, like a rutabaga. I'm like, oh my God, I got to figure out how to, what to do with this. So sometimes there's things in there that I wouldn't typically buy because, you know, you kind of go to the grocery store and you pick up the things that you know you'll always eat. Um, but it is an amazing value. It helps support the programming that they do. And right now with all the stuff going on with the coronavirus, they've seen an, an increase in the amount of subscriptions, which makes sense because people are looking for groceries to be delivered to them. They also have an option where when you buy a box, you can also opt to donate a box because with so many people having lost their jobs, there's an increase in demand at um, shelters and food banks and anywhere where a meal might be um, given for free. So it's it's nice if you are someone who is still employed and able to, to donate and give back in that way because the need has really drastically increased. And, you know, for a lot of these families that were living paycheck to paycheck, they just had the rug pulled out from under them last week. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think we're going to see a real increase in demand in um, food banks and services for the community. The challenge is that a lot of food banks have closed down because of um, COVID-19. So there's a larger demand, but there's fewer resources for now. So there's fewer places for people to access uh, food and there's more people who need it, but just with the restrictions on what can be open there, it's really challenging. Um, I'm going again to volunteer at St. Felix, which is a community center in, um, Toronto's kind of downtown area. They have a kitchen there and they provide, um, meals for homeless or anyone who needs it. And they've had to cut back the number of people that can sit in the dining area, which is actually quite small, but obviously because they need to space people apart. So now they're right. packaging, packaging up some of the meals into like 
just paper bags and handing them out at the end of the driveway. Um, but because of, you know, coronavirus, they, they lost their volunteers. Um, some of the volunteers were also seniors uh, and for obvious yeah. reasons, they should stay home. So I went the other day and a friend of mine joined me and we were the only two volunteers there, which was actually quite fine because it's not a big kitchen and they're not taking a lot of people, but mm-hmm. um, you know, they are still, they, they could still use volunteers and people can connect with them um, through their email or through their website. But I would say that's a situation for probably most shelters or community centers is um, that they, if you don't want to go out and I mean, really, we shouldn't go out. Uh, you know, if you can donate, then by all means, they're all seeing a demand increase definitely for for food. And where can people if they wanted to volunteer? Yeah, St. Felix, it's at um, like near Queen and Spadina. So if you're in that area, I would say like look them up online. There's a email or a phone number that you can call about volunteering. It's, uh, it gives you something very productive to do. I can understand people's concerns about, you know, being in a shared space. And I think those are valid concerns, but, you know, I, I take the precautions um, and we don't serve the people that come through the, it's the staff of the facility that does that. So there is no interaction between myself and the people there who are dining. I just solely stay in the kitchen and I pick through salad greens and, you know, uh, do whatever else. It's like, no, it's like you, you might like organize uh, the walk-in fridge, do some dishes. Like it's just, you're just there to be an extra pair of hands. Any way to help yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Rapid fire. Favorite ingredient to cook with? Cheese. What's the best piece of advice you've received? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, um, <laughs> have another slice. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's pretty good advice. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word to use in the kitchen? <laughs> what cookbooks are you into right now? Oh, that's a tough one for me because they ha- I have a lot of books that are very specific. I am a fan of like Martha Stewart. Some of her books are like, they're just the great instructional baking books. Um, mm-hmm. Anna Olson for the same reason. Yes. I've got the um, Ottolenghi a Simple, which is like, which I haven't done a lot out of, but it's got beautiful vegetable dishes. I think the joy of cooking is a really great one, to, like staple to have in the home, even though it's, it's all text. There's not really any, there's no photos in it. There's a few drawings. Yeah. Um, it's just like a good like reference Bible to have. And I get books to review. So I'm actually going out and buying 20 books at a time. Um, but a lot of the ones now are very, they're plant-based, which I think is great because I think a lot of people who are um, meat eaters just by habit and tradition um, are a little nervous about making vegetables the center of a meal. So I think Mm -hmm. all of these plant-based books that are coming out or more vegetable forward books, I guess, uh, can help people build confidence in terms of experimenting with making their vegetables a bit more flavorful, making them a bigger part of the meal that they're having. Uh, So I think that's nice that it's moving in that direction. This is usually where I ask my guests uh, to share a kitchen confession with us. Um, you know, I've had like the baking fail, which is so frustrating. I like baking more than I like cooking. I like cooking because I have to feed myself. But if I have time on my hands, uh, I'll probably like whip out a baking book instead to like try something new. Um, and I think the most disappointing thing is doing something like where you get distracted and you're baking a batch of cookies and you put all this work into it. And I've done this more than once where when you double a recipe, which is always a mistake because you will usually <laughs> not double it 
properly as so you're going true. along, right? Like, so you'll double the recipe and then, you know, I'll have added only half the flour, but then doubled and then doubled the butter. And um, <laughs> I always get like, you have to be really focused if you're going to either half a recipe or double it um, because you have to do the math and remember what you've you know already done. Yeah. Um, but so that's always disappointing, like to pull out a tray of cookies that you're so excited about bringing to someone's dinner party. And then you realize that you, in fact, have like quadrupled the butter, <laughs> but have only half the amount of flour. And you just have this like sheet. Well, and it also feels so wasteful because you're like, I can't yes. salvage this. I can't do anything with this. Um, and all the time that you've put into it. So it just, it's frustrating. Like nobody eats it. I don't serve it to anyone, but it's just so... Um, it's so maddening. Yeah. See, I did it once where, um, because the butter can be tricky in chocolate chip cookies, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, what would have happened to mine was all mine combined and they became one big sheet cookie. Yeah. <laughs> so I served it. I, I, I didn't care. Sometimes <laughs> like, it can be okay. Like I've done it once where I doubled the butter, but not the flour. And it just oh. turned out they were very flat and very buttery. Yeah. But if you go too, if you stray too far, um, there's yeah. no, there's no coming back from it. We've all had those. Yes. We've all had that. <laughs> if listeners want to reach out, uh, find you, get to know more about you, connect with you, where can they find you? You know, online is great. Like Instagram or Twitter at Peichen. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm online a lot. So if they want to see what I'm up to, that's probably the best spot. And they really should. Cause you were absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It has been so much fun. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mamaliti. See you at the next episode.